It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. For the love of Pete, it's something you might say when your car gets damaged, but that won't get you the help you need for your vehicle. As someone named Jake, what you should be saying is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For help filing your claim 24-7, whether it's on the phone online, or on the award-winning State Farm mobile app, however you choose. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Am I allowed to say balls in the wall? Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 577 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, October the 7th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast and of course... Please make sure you're checking out the Lockdown Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams. If you're looking for a breakdown of what happened over the weekend in Week 5, there is the Lockdown MLB channel as well. If you are excited about the playoffs and your team is still alive, search for the Lockdown Show corresponding to that team. And also, the Lockdown NHL Network is up and running. Week 2 now on the board. We have about 17 shows, at least by the end of this week launching. So uh, enjoy them and find the team that you were interested in and, and listen to that show. For fans of this podcast who also might like the Toronto Maple Leafs, check out Locked On Leafs with Mike DiStefano and Andrew Zuber, the Zoobs. It's great. It's a fantastic podcast, and you should definitely check it out and subscribe, rate, and review to all of the Locked On shows that you want to support. It's very much appreciated. All right, on today's show, baby, we have some news. Kyle Lowry has signed a one-year, $31 million extension on top of his contract that comes to an end at the end of this season. No longer, he is now going to be a free agent going into the summer of 2021. That definitely hurts the, the class of 2020. He may very well have been the best UFA available in the class of 2020, and he is now locked in for another year at $31 bucks for the Raptors. 
which is very cool and good, and I'm extremely happy for many, many reasons. So on today's show, we'll just kind of go through the big important takeaways from the Kyle Lowry news, the extension, what it means for this year, what it means for next year, what it means for different guys on the team, and what it means for 2021 as well, which everyone has circled as Giannis Summer or other free agents, because guess what? He's not the only free agent available that summer, and the Raptors, I think, fancy themselves a destination after having won the title and being a competent, well-run organization and having seen that competent, well-run organizations like the Nets and the Clippers were able to cash in on free agency in a way that they haven't in the past. So there seems to be a bit of runway here for the Raptors to potentially capitalize on the post-championship glow and the fact that their GM is very smart and good at his job. So first, let's get into the main takeaway that I have, and maybe this isn't the most sort of you know, dunked on reason to like the deal. It's not the most, you know, like asset friendly, asset management-y, like all moves towards a title type of takeaway. But for me, the most important thing about bringing Kyle Lowry back for another year beyond this year is that you took care of the dude. You took care of a legacy guy. He's a franchise icon. He's the best player in franchise history, the most important player in franchise history. And I talked last week about how important I thought it was going to be for the Raptors to maintain that relationship. You know, there was all this sort of scuttlebutt like a year ago when Kyle was frustrated with the team and mad at the team for trading DeMar, and it looked like there was really going to be no way out for the Raptors and Lowry that ended copacetically. But now, it seems like that's very much on the table. Very likely, he signed three contracts to stay in Toronto now. At least two of those he wanted to sign. (laughs) I'm not sure if he really was, like, thrilled about taking the three years 100 he took a few years back, but he did anyway. And I'm very glad he did because he stuck around and won a title. That's fantastic. Um, But no, it was just, it's really important for this team to finally, you know, part ways at some point with a star player where it's not bitter or sour or on some sort of down note. Going back to Damon Stoudemire and Vince Carter and Chris Bosh and then DeMar when the trade happened, all of it was pretty gross or not even just gross, just... Not very pleasant in terms of how, I mean, it ranged from unpleasant to gross. I mean, Chris Bosh, after he left, there were accusations from Brian Colangelo that he kind of quit on the team when he was hurt and sort of looking ahead to free agency at the end of that year. We're not really taking into account the fact that Brian Colangelo had screwed up the team by making it shitty uh, for many years before and having a bunch of failed ventures into free agency and trades that ultimately led to Vince, to Chris Bosch, sorry, leaving pretty justifiably, I think, at the end of the 2010 season. You had, obviously, Vince quitting on the team for half a season and, and, and parting ways after being the most important player in franchise history. You had Damon Stoudemire, the first pick in franchise history, asking his way out and getting his way. And then with DeMar, it was just, it was so abrupt and there was no proper goodbye and it was just kind of, you know, sour grapes on both sides a little bit. And then even Kawhi, I mean, no one's upset about Kawhi leaving, I don't think, in a real sort of, you know, grand way. I think it's, you know, disappointment that he didn't stick around, but I don't think anyone's super upset about it. But even then, you know, after he departed, there was still sort of the sniping about Uncle Dennis and how the negotiation process went down and, you know, some, I think, feelings of disappointment that he didn't stick around. With Kyle, you had to avoid that. This is a team that is trying to brand itself as a potential destination, a place that's going to take care of its players, a place that people are going to want to spend large chunks of their careers, which which are short and and very sort of finite. This is a place that you're trying to brand yourself as, a place where those people want to come and play and try to win championships for you. And if you do your star dirty, or not even do them dirty, just sort of part ways in an ugly fashion then I think you're really sort of doing yourself a disservice as you try to sort of maintain that image around the league that you are a place that is going to take care of players, that you're a place that stars should want to play. 
And especially with Kyle, I mean, it's just he's so important to the team. He just won the title. And as Michael Grange reported this morning, there was maybe potential that it could get ugly as soon as this season with Kyle, like pretty early in the season. There was a lot made by some people about how he didn't come and out on the court with the team for the scrimmage they had last last week in Quebec City. He's obviously not playing in the Japan games uh, coming up, and we're not really sure when he's going to hit the floor. But there was, you know, some concern about that, and Michael Grange kind of reported as to why exactly that all happened last week, and that was because there was a threat that Kyle might hold out until he got a contract from the Raptors as a way of sort of, A, exercising his very well-earned leverage uh, over the team. You know, you can't go into a season with him holding out and saying, like, I'm not playing when you have a ring ceremony on day one. To not have him there would be pretty indefensible, and so Kyle was exercising that leverage, and he wanted to have some security. Obviously, we've heard the rumors of him getting traded this season, perhaps, as a rental player to go somewhere else. And, you know, contrary to what some people seem to suggest, that he wanted to go to a contender or whatever, it seemed like he just wanted some security to know exactly where he was going to be. And that makes sense for a guy who just won a title, is kind of content, and also has kids who go to school in Toronto and has those concerns to also weigh as well. You know, it's not just like he's some single dude who can go get traded wherever he wants. Like, he has family ties here that have been laid down for seven years now. And so I totally respect and agree with Kyle's decision to hold out a little bit and say, hey, like, this is a time where I have some leverage. He had no leverage back in the summer of 2016 when he when he came back to the Raptors or 2017, whatever it was. He had absolutely no leverage at that point, and that hurt him because he didn't really get to go and, you know, he didn't get a five-year max like he seemed like he wanted. He didn't get to go play somewhere that, you know, maybe he wanted to go to the Spurs, for example. That didn't end up happening. He really just kind of had one choice, which was to come back to Toronto. So I totally totally agree and think it was awesome of him to exercise that leverage that when at the one point in time where he has it and at 34 to get a 31 million dollar payday when you're 34 is pretty damn good and I'm glad Kyle got it and because of the threat of him potentially holding out and asking for a trade somewhere else if they weren't going to give him the security of at least being here this season then you know I, I totally think the Raptors had to do it the do it this way, and I'm glad they did it this way, and I'm glad they didn't sort of forego future flexibility to do it this way either. And, you know, some people may look at this and say, oh, this just makes him more valuable as a trade asset. He's not a rental or whatever. I just, I don't think the general sort of weighing of assets and trade management and all this shit that we love to do all the time in NBA coverage... I don't think that really applies to the situation because Masai has already recognized the legacy aspect of it all. He's given Kyle a contract of $31 million. I don't know if he's going to live up to be a $31 million player next season when he's 34 going on 35. I would probably bet against it, to be honest, but... To give him that substantial payday, which is like 75% of the max, it is n- max, it's nothing to sneeze at, it does suggest that sentimentality matters to Masai, which I'm glad that has become clear because I think he was sort of unfairly branded as this ghoulish monster who would just trade away people at the first opportunity, like a Bill Belichick or something like that. That's not the case. He very clearly has some sort of feelings towards Kyle and understands his importance in Raptors history and what he means to the franchise as the guy who sort of led them through this era all the way to the title. And I just don't think you can apply sort of simple trade logic to this case the way you can with lots of other players. There's so much more baked in contextually that you have to consider. And I just think this deal does not signal to me that, oh, they're going to trade him next summer or they're going to look to move on. This looks to me like they're trying to ensure that he's going to be around 
for the next two years as they try to maintain competitiveness because what's the best way to tell prospective free agents that you are a place that they should want to play? It's being competitive. It's not tanking. It's not going to the bottom. It's not trading dudes for assets that are all sort of ethereal in what they are and there's no hard on-court value to them. And I just, I don't think that's the path Masai ever really wanted to go down. He's proven already that you can build a contender, a championship winner from the middle. And I don't think he's going to want to do sort of the full teardown thing that has kind of been rumored that he's wanted to do ever since he got here. I think the proof of him, not just with the Raptors, but what he did with the Nuggets as well, building a 50 plus win team out of, you know, out of the middle once again, I don't think tearing it down is sort of in Masai's wheelhouse right now. And so... I never really thought Kyle was going to get dealt this year either, and I think this, this sort of confirms all of that and suggests that the Raptors are going to try to stay competitive this year and next. What happens with Gasol and Ibaka, I'm not sure, but they will still have money next summer, depending on how they sort of go about this Pascal Siakam situation, which I assume they're going to kick it down the road to next year and go into next summer with a $7 million cap hold on the books as opposed to a $30 million max starting salary. I think we're still going to see them make some moves next summer, try to maintain flexibility, maybe get some one-year deals and stuff like that on guys, maybe who are looking to cash in or sort of boost their value. And then after that, they go into 2021, having in theory been competitive for two more seasons. And then, you know, using that as a launching pad to say, hey, come play with Pascal Siakam, free agent X or Giannis or whatever it is. And with Lowry doing this as well, sort of taking care of him going into next season. I mean, by the time all said and done, he's going to have made by the end of 2020, $170 million in the three contracts he signed with the Raptors. He's been taken care of pretty well by the franchise. And maybe when he's 35, he'll be more amenable to sort of a longer term security insuring contract that pays him like a third of what he's making right now as he sort of ages into the back part of his career potentially as a backup. So I think this also sort of boosts the chances that he does sort of just age out with the team and retires with the team after a couple more years beyond 2021, depending on how you know his career arc and everything goes, I think that puts that on the table much more than it was were they to just go in and let him be a free agent to walk this summer in a pretty depressed free agent class and uh, at a time where he might be able to cash in on one last big deal for his career. So uh, all of this suggests to me that the Raptors are very happy to take care of Kyle Lowry. They are very happy to have him around and they're going to try to compete for the next couple of years, which is very encouraging and good and nice because no one wants to watch a shitty team that's trying to lose games um, and the Raptors have proven you do not need to go that path in order to become a contender down the line. Before we continue on here and chat about some of the other implications of the Kyle Lowry deal, I want to tell you about Indochino, which is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at checkout. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. 
Sometimes you and I need that kind of support too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so we've talked about the avoided potential holdout, which again, people might look at that and say, oh, Kyle Lowry holding out. What an et- like, don't even like begin to disparage Kyle for doing a holdout potentially because uh, that's his damn right and he should uh, try to get as much money as he can possibly get, especially at this late stage of his career where he might not have that many more paydays in, in store. And so we're going to leave that one there. Uh, let's look ahead a little bit to sort of what this means for this season. I do think... You know, I've talked about how I wasn't really sure that tearing it down was particularly likely just because they were never really going to get all that much in exchange for their expiring guys who make a lot of money and are in their 30s and are not necessarily prime trade chips. You know, maybe the fact that it's a wide open title race still opens the possibility that like a Gasol or a Baca could be traded this year if things don't go super well for the Raptors this season, which I mean, hey, it's possible, I suppose. You know, like I've talked about, they are an older team. They're coming back after a grueling summer for a few of them, a couple of them coming back from injury. Maybe there's a slow start in store here, and that changes how Messiah looks at this team. But I just think there's still ample value in just riding out the season one more year with Gasol and Ibaka. Even just giving Ibaka and Gasol money to be around for 2021. Run back this same crew of old guys and have that be the team going into 2021 and have sort of a similar effect where you have a ton of money coming off the books at the end of that season when the free agency class is actually good and not just loaded with a bunch of sort of speculative RFAs and stuff like that. You know, I could very well see more deals coming down for Gasol and Ibaka here shortly, considering what we've seen for Lowry. Whether they get paid similar to what they're currently making, I don't know. I don't think we'll see Ibaka make $20 million, for example. But if the Raptors offer him one year in 15, maybe he takes that as a way to, you know, have some stability, stick around, and then go into 2021, maybe with the cap raised a little bit, and maybe a bit more money out there, maybe another couple seasons of being successful in the bag for him. Same with Gasol. Uh, maybe they give him like a 20-25 one-year deal or something like that, but... That is for another day. Uh, I do think for this season, it kind of suggests that the Raptors are very much just going to roll it out and see how they can do in their title defense. I think this probably opens up at least a smaller smidgen of a possibility that they'll try to make some sort of trade to bring in another player. Um, Whether or not that's successful, I I don't think it's even likely to happen, but that might make it more of a possibility as opposed to just sort of being a wait-and-see season. Maybe they say, all right, there's Bradley Beal. Let's go and throw a crazy offer the, the Wizards' way and see if it works. What that offer would be, I have no idea. Whether they have the pieces is probably not even the case because lots of other teams are going to want Bradley Beal and they probably have better packages to offer, but still on the table if they really wanted to go that route and other 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 guys out there I suppose you could trade for too. Um, again, the legacy thing really, really matters here. And with Kyle, I just don't see them using this as a way to make him more of a valuable trade piece because still... For a 33, 34, 35-year-old point guard by the time his contract's over, I'm just not sure what you're getting that's really going to make it worthwhile to trade away an icon of the franchise in the middle of the season. I just don't really see that happening. You know, again, it'll still be a, a low first-round pick at best, I think, plus like salary filler and crap like that that you don't really need. Um, so I think it's still very unlikely that he gets dealt. And then next summer, I've had some people suggest to me on Twitter that maybe this makes him easier to trade next summer. It's just as easy as it would have been this past summer. It's not like Kyle's sort of 
aura within the franchise goes away at one year after winning the title. Like, yes, it's a little bit easier, I suppose, from a PR standpoint to do it a year after the title as opposed to a couple weeks after a title, but I still think it's pretty much the same situation he was in last summer where he's going into an expiring year and he's still 35 and still makes a lot of money and is going to be hard to trade and I'm not sure what teams are actually going to give up for him, so maybe it's just best to go into the year with him and see what you can do in one more year, one more sort of last hurrah with Kyle. Um, So yeah, this is going to be a team, I think, that maybe people have to sort of change their expectations for what they're going to be this year. I know a lot of folks have kind of built their predictions around the idea that the Raptors are going to potentially trade guys, and that's maybe seen them come lower a little bit in terms of over-unders and where uh, they slot into people's hypothetical standings. I think this very much guarantees that the Raptors are going to be in the hunt for one of those home court spots in the Eastern Conference, whether it's three or four, five, something in there. I think that's likely where they will end up seated. And again, being in that spot is, there's way worse things, especially coming off a title than there is being a middle tier playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Because A, there's an opportunity to win a round, maybe even two if you get lucky with a matchup and you feel like you can sort of take it to the Sixers or the Bucks in a certain way. I don't think that's necessarily likely, but it's a possibility, I suppose. Injuries obviously happen too. We just saw in the playoffs, the Raptors weren't supposed to beat the Warriors, but then the Warriors had a cavalcade of injuries, and then boom, they won the title. And that can also happen. And again, this is sort of the argument I've made the last like four or five years as people have, you know, reacted to losing in the postseason with suggestions that maybe they just tear it down and start from scratch again. And when you do that, you take yourself out of the position to to capitalize when weird basketball shit happens. And, you know, the Raptors were the ultimate benefactors of weird basketball shit this season. And I don't think anyone's upset about the way things happened or how they got there. It was just a matter of being there to take advantage of that. And so... The more you stay in the conversation, the more you stay near the top of the conference, the more likely it is that things happen like that. The more likely it is that you become an attractive destination for a disgruntled star or you become, uh, you know, we even saw this like last year with Chris Stapps Porzingis, who had the Raptors on his list of teams like 10 years ago, five years ago. That's not a thing, but that's becoming a thing now because the Raptors have proven themselves to be legitimately good. And I think you kind of kill that goodwill a little bit if you decide to put it in the tank and take a couple years in between uh, now and 2021 to try to rebuild uh, you know, internally or whatever it is. So uh, this is going to be a good team. This is going to be a team that maintains flexibility for 2021 as well, which is obviously, I think, the reason why the Raptors are very okay paying Kyle a lot of money next year is because it doesn't run into 2021 and they still have that flexibility, which is fantastic. And again, two more years of being pretty competitive and two more years of Pascal Siakam's growth as the number one or co-number one this year, full number one next year, whatever it ends up being, you know, it's going to really sort of put them in a good spot. They only have like 79 million bucks guaranteed for next season. Obviously, when Kyle comes off after 2021, that is going to be big too. And that 70 mil- 79 million is, you know, including a, a Siakam max extension that could potentially be even less if they get him for less than the max. That'd be great. I know there's rumors out there that he wants the max. Given the max, I don't really care. But like... If, if it's less, they'll have more money to work with and all that stuff. So they'll have plenty of room next summer to you know fiddle around, which is uh, very exciting. And I think this is a re- very sort of refreshing move to have seen the Raptors make because I think there was sort of a fear that things were going to potentially go sour this season and potentially really quickly veer off of the championship you know, high horse and, and the feelings of, of, you know, triumph and all that stuff and become sort of a reality check. Like, oh no, like this team is very much moving into a new phase very quickly here after the departure of Kawhi. And I think Kyle signing for another year sort of puts that off and makes it a lot more likely that the Raptors won't go into a deep, dark phase or anything like that. 
and they'll sort of continue from here and then you know we'll see how things sh- shape out in 2021 you know there's lots of perils in building your team around having cap space for a certain summer ask the knicks about that ask a lot of teams about that it doesn't always work out the way you want it to even with the lakers for example i mean they tried to get Kawhi this summer because they had the space they ended up with a collection of shitty players who chris mannix is trying to tell you was good uh fucking Avery Bradley. I'm really sick of hearing about Avery Bradley. But anyway, uh, that's besides the point. We know this can go poorly, but the Raptors, I think, have put themselves in the best possible situation to have success, sell themselves a couple more years as a place guys are going to want to play, and then in 2021, take your shot. And there's no better time to take your shot, I suppose, than after you've put in all the work to make yourself a legitimate place. This is what the Nets did. This is what the Clippers did. They put in tons of work to say, hey, we are legitimate. We are not what you thought we were five, ten years ago. We are a place that you can trust with the prime years of your career to somebody. And the Raptors are looking a lot like that right now, too. So that's encouraging and good. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner. And Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Last thing we should talk about today, and this is sort of a side ramification that isn't really tied to Kyle very much, but but I do think this extension makes things very interesting for Fred VanVleet, who has talked about wanting to become a starter, who has talked about you know betting on himself ever since he joined the league. And I do think with him being a free agent this year, it becomes really fascinating what his future is going to look like. And honestly, I think the Lowry signing news makes it a little less likely that Fred is a Raptor beyond this season. I think you know if Fred has designs on being a starter, he's going to go into this summer as one of the best, if not the best point guard on the market which says a lot about the, the free agency class, but also says a lot about Fred and how far he's come. I think he's really going to cash in this summer somewhere. Some team, whether it's like the Suns or some other point guard deficient team, you know, maybe the Bulls, for example. The, the Bulls, you know, they have Thomas Sadoransky. Maybe they opt to try to give Fred VanVleet next summer, money next summer. I'm not sure. But if that happens, I mean, the Raptors aren't really going to be in a place where they can justify matching some sort of crazy offer. It's not that they don't even have the right to match, but if it, if it becomes a bidding war, I just don't think the Raptors have much in the way of like upper ceiling they can go to with Fred VanVleet. And I think if he plays well this season, if he starts a lot of games, which it sounds like he might, even though I think Norm should probably start at the two, um, you know, I think we're going to see Fred potentially play himself out of being a Raptor by season's end with no obvious starting job for him to walk into with the Raptors to sell him on you know maybe you could sell him on waiting one more year and giving him the reins in 2021 but then you also have to ask the question does Fred deserve to be the starter and I don't think we know that yet I think this is going to be a really telling season for him and I think I'm trying look I feel like I'm like so down on Fred and I feel like such an ass for being down on Fred because I love Fred Van Vliet he's incredible I I am forever thankful to him for hitting all those damn threes in the playoffs But I'm also really sort of cautious to totally buy in and be caught up by the good times and good feelings of nine excellent games to close out the playoffs when most of last season for Fred 
was pretty disappointing. I mean, he had a couple good runs where he looked explosive, where he looked excellent in the regular season, but then injury and back issues kind of popped up, and then he had a lot of long stretches where he was just not very effective and really sort of a drag on that second unit. And then in the playoffs, until Game 4 against the Bucks when he finally started to hit shots, he was non-existent and an active liability out there. Despite his excellent defense, his offense was just so non-existent that it really, really hampered the Raptors' attack. And so I'm not saying Fred won't prove himself to be worthy of being a starter one day, that he won't prove himself worthy of earning a big contract this coming summer, but I'm also just not totally sure he's the player we saw to end the playoffs last year. I hope he is. I'm not totally buying it. And so with that... If he plays just like he has the last couple of seasons and is a very solid backup, I don't think the Raptors can go and, and justify potentially, you know, sacrificing some flexibility and, and open space in summer 2021 by giving Fred some big contract that he's going to want. He's probably going to want. I mean, he's making nine million bucks a year right now. You would assume with the championship pedigree, he's going to want to raise on that. Can you really afford to give Fred Van Vliet three or four years at like 14 million per? I don't think you can, and if some team decides that they want to, the Raptors are just going to have to bite that and say, all right, like we can't do this. And maybe some people will bristle at the Lowry signing because they think Fred is sort of the starting point guard of the future. I kind of think this suggests that maybe Masai already knows that Fred is not really going to be the starter going forward, and if they can talk him into being the backup long-term and get him to a, a team-reasonable, friendly contract, then maybe, but I do kind of fear that this might signal the beginning of the numbering of the days for Fred Van Vliet as a Raptor, which uh, would be disappointing, but also I think maybe it's a situation where you don't want to get tied up too long in a guy who you're not totally sure about because of feelings. This is sort of the ins- the inverse of the sentimentality thing, right? And I trust that Masai is smart enough to sort of know when sentimentality applies and when it shouldn't. And the Fred thing, it uh, it's very interesting to me, this move and what it means for Fred. We're going to talk more about Fred actually in tomorrow's podcast, which is uh, going to address pressing preseason question number four or number five. I'm not sure what we're on just yet just about Fred and what his role is going to be this year and how he's going to fit in and whether he is capable of sort of sort of proving he is able to make that step to the next echelon of point guards in the league. And Josh Howe is going to join me for that. That's going to be fun. So I look forward to that. Um, I think that's all about all I got on the Lowry signing. I think it's great. I'm very happy. I'm very pleased. I look forward to watching Kyle Lowry play many more games as a Raptor. If he plays 82 games a year for the next two seasons, which I don't think he will, he'll probably get his load managed a little bit, but even so, he's still going to finish the second all-time in games played for the Raptors at the very least, barring some crazy amount of missed time. DeMar is so far ahead of number two that it's not going to be that far for for Kyle. He might actually get to number two this season, if I'm not mistaken. I had the list up. I lost the list, and I don't want to do it right now. Um, but he's going to be close to number two all-time by the end of this season, if not number two. And then we'll be, I think, if he plays all 82 the next two seasons, he'll be like 15 games back of DeMar uh, for most all-time games played. It's uh, He's getting up there in all the counting stats, too, and this is only going to help sort of cement his legacy with the Raptors. I mean, it's not like it's going anywhere anyway. He's number one in Raptors history for a very, very long time, <laughs> at the very least. And so I, uh, I think this is just cool to cement that and give a guy a legacy contract. It shows a lot, I think, 
from the team that they're willing to do this. I think it shows a lot um, to sort of people outside of the, of the Raptors who say, hey, like, that, that's that's interesting. They took care of that guy. This is what the Mavs did with Dirk Nowitzki. And the Mavs are gross for lots of different reasons, but I'm glad that they sort of did what they did with Dirk as opposed to saying, all right, he's like 38 now and can't really run. We have to just move, move on from him in part ways. They didn't do that. They had a way more sort of sentimental and player-friendly approach to it. And I think that's there's still room for that in the NBA. As much as everything is about asset management and the best possible peak sort of maximization of the salary cap I don't think that's always necessary and I think it can actually sort of hurt you if you go too far into that because you sort of forget that people are people and uh, this deal suggests that the Raptors are very much in on Kyle Lowry the person as much as they are the player so that's all I got for today thank you so much for tuning in we will be back again as I mentioned on Tuesday with Josh Howe as we talk about Fred Van Vliet and all that good stuff That'll be fun. And until then, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. It's very much appreciated. And uh, we'll be back again on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.